Welcome to Matters of Fact. I'm Christian Esguera. Today in the program, we're going to talk about the decision by the Food and Drug Administration to suspend the administration or the use of AstraZeneca vaccines to people below 60 years old. Now, is there enough evidence linking this to a rare blood clotting uh, episode? And uh, how will this affect the vaccination program here in the Philippines, which has been criticized for being slow? And how about those who already got the first doses of the AstraZeneca vaccines? Coronavirus deaths in the Philippines have reached a record high daily average of 117. The Department of Health reported a total of 816 COVID-19 fatalities from April 2 to April 8, resulting in an average of 116.57 daily. On April 6, the country also logged the highest daily death toll since the start of the pandemic at 382. The total death toll breached the 14,000 mark on Thursday when the country confirmed over 9,200 new coronavirus infections. The number of active cases now stand at over 167,000, the highest recorded in a day since the start of the pandemic. But the latest figures do not include results from five laboratories that failed to submit their data on time. The World Health Organization raising the alarm over the impact of the surge of COVID-19 cases on the country's healthcare system. The details in this report. The World Health Organization warns the Philippines is approaching a so-called red line in its healthcare capacity in handling the coronavirus pandemic. The WHO cites the high number of medical workers getting infected with the virus. When the line is crossed, it means the country's health care capacity has already been overwhelmed by the pandemic. We are concerned about the situations in the Philippines. And once healthcare workers start to get infection, the healthcare capacity goes down. And ironically, that's the time more and more people need some help, but there is a consequence. And therefore, it's very, very important to avoid crossing this red line. The WHO calls on the Philippine government to improve the country's healthcare capacity and boost contact tracing efforts. Reacting to the issue, Senator Francis Pangilinan calls on the global body to put the Philippines on the top of the list of beneficiaries in its COVAX facility and provide the COVID-19 vaccines needed to thwart the collapse of the country's healthcare system. The high bed occupancy rates has also partly forced the government to place Metro Manila and nearby provinces under stricter quarantine measures. Critics have also hit the government for the alleged slow rollout of the vaccines. Meanwhile, dozens of medical workers from the Visayas are already in Metro Manila to help treat COVID patients. Dr. Maricar Limpin, Vice President of the Philippine College of Physicians, says local government units play a key role in fighting the pandemic. Malaking ano talaga dito, will be the local government unit. Kasi di ba, palagi mm-hmm. sinasabi, ang naging problema kasi yung implementation no, ng mga health mm-hmm. protocols. Ang problema talaga will be doon sa local government unit. Kasi ang implementation ng program natin, nasa local government unit eh. Joining us now is Bayan Muna Partilist Representative uh, Carlos Sarate. His group has been calling on the government to increase the amount of aid to be given to members or to residents affected by the ECQ extension in Metro Manila and four other neighboring provinces. Good morning, Congressman Sarate, and thank you for joining us on the program. 
Good morning, Christian, and good morning to our televiewers. Okay, let's start with this uh, problematic distribution of cash aid as recorded or reported in different LGUs in Metro Manila, and I suppose in also some of the neighboring provinces. Now, uh, we have been doing this supposedly the, the, the local governments uh, in coordination with the national government were supposed to have a template already based on the distribution of the uh, social amelioration program funds last year. But in this case, what are the problems that you're seeing? What are the things that you th you think or believe perhaps certain local officials failed to do? And how do you fix this problem now, the distribution of the aid? Yes, uh, Christian, it's, uh, it's a deja vu, no? uh, as if we did not learn the lessons that uh, we had uh, last year in the distribution of the SAP. Uh, first, I think uh, uh, the problem here is uh, when they announce that there will be an ECQ, even the local government units are not really that prepared. No, In fact, uh, as I uh, heard in one report yesterday, uh, it's already the day when the, the IUDA will be distributed, but that's only the time that there is this uh, uh, you know, meeting for the uh, staff of the local government units on how to distribute this SAP. No? In fact, even the guidelines on who are the uh, beneficiaries, uh, uh, how much will each individual or family will receive come, came out later. No? So that is, I think, one of the main issues there. And second, the lack of uh, personnel, really. No? That was the lesson in the last year's di distribution of the SAP. And I agree with the Undersecretary Dino, it would have been better if this SAP no, considering the lack of personnel, no, uh, will be distributed to the household directly. Uh, ang problema pa dyan, Christian, kasi they, they, uh, in their menu, they said that uh, uh, the uh, ayuda can be given through either in cash or in kind. No? In fact, uh, it would have been better if uh, immediately they said that this 1,000 peso uh, per individual, qualified individual, will be given in cash so that uh, you know uh, local government units will no longer be uh, bothered with uh, how to, you know, uh, what uh, what uh, other uh, form of assistance will be given to the residents. No, mm. so and of course the main issue here, 1,000 is not really that enough, Christian, for a two-week lockdown now. And in fact, uh, the 1,000 came in late, very late, also after a week of uh, uh, placing the entire. NCR plus bubble in uh, the uh, enhanced community quarantine. No? The distribution was only made, I think, uh, starting Sunday. And uh, that's why there's this long queue of uh, residents no? uh, trying to get their share of this uh, Ayuda Christian. But, but, but I think uh, even Malacanang admitted early on that uh, there might not be, there, there won't be any new aid to be provided to residents to be affected by the new ECQ and, of course, the subsequent extension. But uh, somewhere along the way, they, they, they look for funds, right? For fund sourcing. And we are left with 1,000 pesos. I think that's what happened here. Uh, in fact, that's one of the biggest problems here because they said uh, the allocation for this 1,000, the 22.9 billion, is just left over tira-tira, no? Tira-tira mm -hmm. uh, from the uh, Bayanihan, to which should have been given last year. So, again, uh, Malacanang should have anticipated this, no? When they uh, declare that there will be an ECQ uh, in uh, in uh, NCR plus bubble, they have to, uh, they should have anticipated that people will really have to look for other for ways to survive. No? And 1,000 again is not enough. Uh, and we have been proposing Christian even before the Lenten break that there should be a third economic stimulus. No? Mm -hmm. But uh, Malacanang is very adamant on saying that there is no need. No, uh, 
that uh, the uh, budget for allocated in the General Appropriations Act for 2021 is enough, and there are still funds from uh, Bayanihan too. Now, uh, uh, I, I think uh, that the, this is al already emblematic of the problem that you are facing now. You are only saying that there's no uh, follow-up to this 1,000. It's mm. good to hear that they are studying no, uh, uh, this proposal from Congress to provide a third economic stimulus. Because mm. we have been saying all along, despite Bayanihan 1 and Bayanihan 2, these economic stimulus are not enough. You cannot just open up the economy or the... Uh, uh, our, uh, you cannot just leave this uh, ECQ or open up our economy without the people having to, you know, uh, uh, means to uh, even buy the basic necessities, uh, Christian. No, mm -hmm. if there is no, for example, fund for free mass testing, which we have been calling since last year, no? mm -hmm. a, a serious contact tracing uh, and uh, isolation and treatment for those who have uh, contacted. Uh, this COVID-19 uh, disease, no? Okay. So, so these are the things that, that should mm -hmm. have been funded by this economic stimulus. Okay, so we know that the uh, pandemic response includes many different aspects, right? So based on the uh, points that you're raising now, it seems like uh, there, is, uh, there is inadequacy or shortcomings. There are shortcomings on the part of the national government in terms of providing enough economic stimulus. That's why a lot of people are also criticizing the policymakers for seemingly resorting always to lockdowns and keep on keep, keeping people at home as a primary uh, means to let's say address this uh, this surge in the pandemic right but in this case for instance you you, you mentioned uh, the, the the lack of sufficient aid during the two-week lockdown what would be a logical uh, amount you think and where do you intend where do you think the money could be sourced well we have been proposing uh, Christian no, that uh, at least per family uh, should have been given 10,000 no, uh, assistance I mean from the government no? Uh, this 1,000 is very much, you know, very low below than what they received last year during the lockdown last year. Uh, mm -hmm. I think last year, uh, from average of 5,000 to 8,000 were given under the social amelioration program, no? And we have, in, in fact, that amount is not also enough. But uh, again, uh, why 10,000? Because if you, uh, uh, for example, for two weeks, no, and uh, in a family, if there are two. Uh, minimum wage earners in a family, amawala sa kanila is already 6,000. No? So, you will only give them 1,000 per individual or maximum of 4,000 uh, per, per family. Lugi pa yung uh, pamilya na yung Christian. No? Then, mm. uh, saan pwede isource itong uh, funding nito? They have been saying na this leftover ito ng bayanihan to, but uh, I've read that there is already uh, in the first quarter of uh, uh, this year, uh, there is already a uh, 21.4 billion, for example, from the uh, dividends coming from the uh, government-owned and controlled corporation. No? They can also, of course, realign some budgetary allocations. And we have been saying, we have uh, the government is saying we will just continue with our build, build, build. No, as we said, we can realign that. No, for our 2021 budget of 4.5 trillion, almost uh, 1.2 trillion is in the infrastructure. No, and I think there are some infra projects that can also be realigned. Uh, yesterday, I heard a local mayor, uh, LGU uh, executive saying that so that they can uh, effectively respond to this problem, they will have to realign some of their infra projects and prioritize COVID-19 interventions. No? Why not the government can do that? And of course, we have been saying also, Christian, even before, no? uh, the, the uh, Office of the President has a 
13 billion contingency fund. It has an 8.5 billion intelligence fund. Why can't they realign all this uh, budget? And there is that 19.5 billion uh, for the uh, national task force to end local communist armed conflict in the anti-insurgency campaign. No, so all of these funds you no know, can be pulled together, you no, know, and uh, raise enough funds for uh, the Bayanihan Tree to give not only assistance to our affected uh, uh, citizenry, but even uh, economic stimulus to help, for example, our micro, small, and medium enterprises you know, so, uh, wait subsidy for our workers, Christian. Basically, the concern is that the government is not spending enough to stimulate the economy, uh, stimulate the economy, and also to provide assistance to the people affected by the pandemic. But of course, aside from let's say convincing Malacanya, I also need to convince uh, many of your colleagues because uh, not just the economic managers, because uh, some of them, of course, or many of them would be reluctant to realign many of those budgets. And of course, I think uh, some of the uh, budget items that, sh that you mentioned have uh, are deeply rooted in, 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 the, in the policy laid down by the president himself, right? For instance, you mentioned the, the funding um, for the anti-communist insurgency campaign of the government. So can you honestly expect President Duterte to, 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 to allow his supporters or allies in Congress to realign the budget for that? This is the real litmus case for litmus case for uh, the Duterte administration. Ano ba dapat prioritize talaga nila? They, they, they kept on saying that now the number one problem really now is this uh, crisis aggravated by the COVID-19 pandemic. No? But uh, as you can see, uh, uh, what is different from what they are saying than what they are uh, implementing now, even in the, uh, in, uh, for example, procurement of vaccine. No? Uh, they have been saying before, uh, okay, magalala, magtiis, by December, the vaccines will be here. But and you, we know that uh, very important is also the uh, the, the vaccination uh, rollout is also very important, just like mass testing, contact tracing, and isolation and treatment, as well as giving assistance to our people. So, again, uh, uh, it's a question of prioritization, uh, Christian. And it all uh, boils down to what is really the priority of the Duterte administration now. Okay, let's go to another topic. Uh, while everyone is focused on the pandemic, especially here in the Philippines, given the surging uh, infections connected to the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, at the West Philippine Sea, we're facing a lot of problems. Uh, of course, the problems didn't exactly go away. Now, recently, or just yesterday, uh, an ABS-CBN news crew led by uh, reporter Shara Sambrano was chased away by, 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 by Chinese vessels, including a vessel belonging to the Philippine Chinese Navy. Now, over the past several days, your group has been calling on the government to come up with a stronger position uh, against uh, uh, what China has been doing in the West Philippine Sea. And in fact, we're seeing uh, a, a stronger stance coming specifically from the Department of Foreign Affairs and, of course, the Department of National Defense. In this case, how do you think this issue could be resolved, especially in light of warnings that we might end up losing control of uh, of this reef which is well within our exclusive economic zone compared to what happened in 2012 after the standoff in scarborough show well uh, uh that's true christian and i agree with you know that this uh, should have uh, should have been addressed uh, early on no? uh and uh, we have been saying uh, uh, in the past and we uh, still maintain that uh what really contributed to this uh ramping up the leveling up of the aggression of uh, aggressiveness of China in the West Philippine Sea is the very policy itself being uh, uh, pursued now 
and still is being pursued by the uh, uh, Duterte administration since 2016, no? the stock landing policy of so-called pivot to China. I think uh, the first things first, no? uh, the, the uh, Duterte administration should abandon this kind of policy of appeasement to China. No? Well, there are, as you were saying, strong statements no? coming from the Foreign Affairs Department and the National Defense Department. But in the past, for example, even the DND is uh, you know, complicit to this. No? When there are uh, reported uh, violations made by China, sila pa yung parang uh, uh, justify no? uh, of these violations. Of course, we can file, as, as mentioned by Secretary uh, uh, Teddy Boyloxin, every day a, a, a diplomatic protest, a day march, but uh, these are not enough at this point in time. No? And I think uh, one of the uh, um, uh, positions that can be taken by the Philippine government is to bring this to a multilateral body, for example, in the UN, to protest these uh, ag uh, aggressive actions of China. But uh, uh, along this line, Christian, it is not also acceptable you know, that uh, this will be taken advantage by other uh, powers, and especially Western powers uh, led by the United States. You know? Uh, what they are doing now in the uh, South China Sea, including our own West Philippine Sea, is uh, there is uh, apparently a race of dominance by uh, these powers. No? And that is what we don't want to happen, that uh, this uh, region will be militarized by, uh, again, com competing uh, uh, powers, no? China and uh, uh, America and its allies. No? We have been calling for the demilitarization of these zones, in fact. And uh, for the Philippines no, to... Uh, be aggressive in pushing for the code of conduct that have been in uh, negotiations for quite a long time. No? Uh, and uh, what is happening now, it is China that is uh, trying to sabotage apparently these uh, negotiations for a code of conduct that will be binding to all the claimant countries in uh, the South China Sea Christian. You mentioned of course the COC and uh, based on what's happening uh, in the West Philippine Sea in particular, it seems like uh, um, the, the, the Philippines and other claimant countries, including, for example, Vietnam, are being taken for a ride here. And I think that is also the tenor of one of the statements issued by the Department of National Defense, mentioning the COC negotiations and, of course, questioning the sincerity of China. Now, I'd like to go back to the uh, to the change in tone of, uh, of the Philippine government. Uh, why do you think we are talking now much tougher against China compared to the tone or the tenor of our statements about or against China before. What do you think changed at this stage in the Duterte administration? Well, uh, there may be changes coming from uh, the uh, different secretaries, but we have yet to hear directly from the uh, chief, uh, chief uh, policy, uh, foreign policy maker, which is the president who is the president himself, no? So uh, this tone in, uh, you know, uh, in the past, uh, they have been playing this kind of game, no? Uh, apparently a carrot and stick uh, approach, no? One will say a harder tone, but uh, the president will always, uh, you know, uh, make, it, uh, make a softer statement as far as China is concerned. So what we are looking at here now, Christian, is from the president's uh, mouth himself. You know, he has to say, uh, that uh, this is no longer acceptable. Uh, this continuing aggressiveness and uh, uh, continuing occupation of China, so, uh, of our maritime structures in the West Philippines Sea, should be stopped. And uh, they should 
leave uh, our uh, territory no uh, not a second uh, or a minute or a day longer okay congressman carlos arate thank you very much for joining us on the program sir thank you christian an undisclosed hospital here in the Philippines is granted a special permit to use the antiparasitic drug ivermectin to treat COVID-19. A compassionate special permit allows experimental or unregistered drugs for limited off-label use. But the Food and Drug Administration says this is not an endorsement of ivermectin safety and efficacy against COVID-19, citing the lack of clinical data. That's why the FDA is requiring the hospital to submit a monthly report on the condition of their patients. Mass production and distribution of the drug are also not allowed. So, ang requirement lang naman natin doon kailangan, of course, registered yung product doon sa country kung saan siya magagaling, tas licensed yung mag-import dito sa Pilipinas, and the doctor takes full responsibility for the use of the drug dun sa pasyente niya. Pag nagdaraw kami ng CSP, it's for a period of ano, no, uh, merong amount, tapos nakalagay for a period of one year, nila pwedeng ubusin yung amount na ni-request nila. So ang hospitals, usually mag-apply sila, pagkatapos pag naubos na nila, then they apply for another one. The vaccine is that the, a lot of the, ano, a lot of the 25% of the trial participants actually had comorbids, no? And they also, FDA Director General Eric Domingo says they have received two applications for a certificate of product registration and that they are just waiting for requirements to be submitted before evaluations take place. Currently, the only FDA-registered ivermectin in the Philippines is the one being used for animals. I are now joined by Dr. Um, Edsel Salbanya. He's the director of the Institute of Molecular Biology and Biotechnology at the University of the Philippines in Manila. Good morning, doctor, and thank you for joining us again in the program. Uh, good morning, Christian. Good morning to everyone who's listening. Okay, over the past several days, uh, we've heard of experts warning against the possible risks of ivermectin if used as treatment or prophylaxis for COVID-19. But how do you explain this uh, this uh, special compassionate uh, compassionate use permit uh, given by the FDA at least to one hospital? Let's talk about the dangers or possible risks. Right. So um, ivermectin is is a drug that's used uh, more for worms. Um, as a parasitologist, I actually do use it, and the dose is usually three to fifteen milligrams once, just once, because this does last a long time in the body. And the supposed antiviral dose of ivermectin is about five times or higher that. And so uh, I'm really concerned uh, as, a, as a doctor um, if there will be toxic side effects because we do know that uh, there are neurologic problems, and neurologic side effects of ivermectin if taken at higher doses or even at usual doses. Uh, and so that's really the concern. Um, the data supporting the use of ivermectin in humans for any kind of viral infection uh, is still um, is still not uh, you know it still does not support uh, routine use uh, and not notwithstanding prophylaxis which is even less data and so it's very important that if this drug is being investigated and there are a lot of clinical trials ongoing um, it, it has to be done in a controlled manner to decrease the risk of having bad bad side effects uh, to patients who are taking it. But in this case, to, to allow ivermectin as treatment uh, under special uh, compassionate use permit, isn't it a, a bit reckless 
given the the studies well, that are incomplete so far and the risks that have been identified? Well, that's the whole point of compassionate use because compassionate use is a very stringent um, process in which you have to get the consent of the patient, you have to show data that the treatment has a chance of working. We don't have that data yet at this point. Um, and also you need to use a properly compounded or properly manufactured drug. And we know that what's going on right now is that there is um, unauthorized distribution of God knows what, because you know there is no um, uh, FDA registered um, oral form, human formulation of ivermectin in the market. So I don't know where uh, people are distributing it, getting, are, are they, where are they getting it from? Hopefully not from, from sources uh, that are supposed to be using it for animals. So this is a controlled uh, way in which uh, someone can use ivermectin not for prophylaxis, not for preventing uh, a disease, but as a last resort in people who may be uh, in really bad shape. And if there's any kind of data that supports this use, then maybe later on we can use it. But right now we don't have that data. Um, this is regulatory. So basically what that means is, first of all, we need to make sure that the source of the drug or the kind of ivermectin we're using is fit for human consumption. And second, the patient is aware that, uh, that this drug is still not, um, not uh, recommended. And third is that the doctor is taking full responsibility, meaning if something bad happens and the use was not justified, then the, the doctor can lose his license. And of course, the patient should have full consent or understanding of of the possible risks. Because somehow, if you go for, for this particular unproven drug for COVID-19, that is reflective of people's desperation for cure or treatment at this stage, right? Well, what it is, is, you know, in the Philippines, there are no uh, uh, fully approved antiviral drugs for COVID yet. Even yeah. remdesivir is still under compassionate use. And the remdesivir actually has better data than ivermectin. Definitely, there's a randomized control trial from the New England Journal of Medicine that shows that it decreases uh, the time to recovery from 15 days to 10 days. And yet, it's not fully approved yet. Um, and so we still use it under compassionate use. So this just puts it at the level of uh, remdesivir, favipiravir, um, in terms of being available for us to use, especially if later on some data comes out to support that it's something that we can use. But it, by no means does it uh, say that it is a good drug. It does not say that. Um, and number two, it puts the responsibility squarely on the shoulders of the physician if they choose to use this, this and they will have to explain if something bad happens. Okay. And uh, would you know how all this started? Uh, why all of a sudden an antiparasitic drug was considered or being promoted even by certain popular people, by so-called influencers, by politicians as a possible treatment or prophylaxis for COVID-19? Uh, how, yeah, how did it start? Yeah, so early on, there was a scramble for any kind of drug that uh, might work against COVID-19. If you remember, even hydroxychloroquine was in this um, in this situation where even uh, President Trump at that time promoted it. And then it was eventually shown that it did not work. Uh, and even the proponents of hydroxychloroquine from before who were rapidly promoting it, I don't hear them saying that this is the miracle drug that they kept saying before. The evidence has changed. So it's the same way in terms of ivermectin. Ivermectin is very popular in South America where it is used for worms. 
And, you know, a lot of countries uh, started using it out of desperation. And uh, clearly, you know, the, 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 the control data, the data studies that are coming out uh, really don't show that it's working. Early data showed that maybe it works in a Petri dish, maybe it works in certain subsets of patients. But when they did the big clinical trials with proper control for any kind of bias, it turns out it doesn't seem to work. Yeah, and why would you promote something that uh, is still unproven based on uh, very limited data? You mentioned uh, Petri dish, right? So it's quite questionable. Yeah, you're right. It's a real problem. And unfortunately, you know, it, we also have, aside from a viral pandemic, we have a pandemic of misinformation where everybody thinks that they can read journals, read the science when they're not properly trained to do so. And uh, this is something we call epistemic trespassing where even experts in some field feel that they can competently talk about something that's not in their field. And that's really dangerous because, of course, if you're an expert in one field, you already do have credibility, and then you cross over to something that you, you, you are not so familiar with. People tend to listen to you because of that expert label, not knowing that that's not your field. Okay. Uh, of course, uh, people might, 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 might consider your statement as a snob. Right, but snobbish. Pero actually, that's true. And worse, if you are not even a uh, a medical official or a medical doctor, right? Um, if you're a politician promoting a drug, that is even more questionable uh, compared to a doctor with a different expertise or specialization suddenly talking about something which is not part of his uh, subspecialty, for instance. So I can understand the frustration on your part, Doctor Salvania. Right. I mean, it's not snobbery. It's the, the, that's the reason why we have subspecialties, because there is not a single doctor who can treat every single condition. I wouldn't know how to set a broken bone. I mean, I have an idea, but I'm not going to operate on someone. I'm an infectious disease doctor. You know, I wouldn't know how to um, uh, do a cardiac catheterization uh, because I'm not specifically trained for that. What I am very, very confident doing is treat infectious disease, viral infections, parasitic infections, bacterial infections. And so I stick to that specialty. If somebody asks me, you know, they, 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 they have some blood in their stool, um, can I please treat it? I'm not going to do that. I'm going to refer them to a gastroenterologist. It should mm. be the same if, um, you know, there are these uh, unproven drugs. Um, you know, we, we use a lot of drugs off-label, but the ones who do use them off-label have special training so that we can properly weigh the risks and the benefits. Now, if somebody okay. else does mm. it without knowing that knowledge, it can be really dangerous for people. Okay, we, before we go to the next point, an equally important issue, the uh, suspension of AstraZeneca vaccines for people aged below 60 years old, I'd like to wrap up this conversation regarding ivermectin. So in light of this uh, uh, grant of a compassionate use permit for one hospital, an identified hospital by the FDA, What's your reminder to the public who might think that all of a sudden this is an endorsement of ivermectin, again, despite very limited data? Right. This is not an endorsement of ivermectin. What it is, is it provides a legal pathway to get ivermectin if the data supports it. And this actually also puts the the responsibility squarely in the shoulders of the physician who should know whether it is a proper treatment. And if something bad happens to the patient, then the physician is responsible. Okay. Now, regarding this decision by the FDA to suspend uh, the, the use of AstraZeneca vaccines for people below 60 years old, what does the data really say? 
uh, is there enough evidence based on, let's say, the experience in Europe to actually warrant a suspension? Uh, again, this is being linked to a very rare blood clotting episode. Right, this is very rare. Now, our safety mechanisms, especially when we're talking about vaccines, especially after what happened to Dengvaxia, we have to be very, very careful. Um, it's a temporary pause. What it does is it gives the regulators time to review the data. And if it's not that concerning, then, you know, we can start using it again. Now, the, the European Medicines Agency, what they found was that there was uh, an, uh, perhaps a very, very small increased risk of blood clots in the general population. This is on the order of one to five out of a million uh, cases. So very, very rare. Um, and so uh, they said caution in people who have blood clots. The United, they didn't say stop. The United Kingdom uh, is, uh, is not using it for those below 30 years old because they feel that the risk um, uh, uh, equation is probably better served if they use an alternative. We don't have alternatives at this point. Mm -hmm. um, and so the bottom line is that this is a safety um, precaution. And if the data shows that the risk is minimal, then they will continue to use Astra. This is really okay. out of an abundance of caution. Okay. And finally, uh, Dr. Salvagna, if this indeed is, uh, the, the suspension is prolonged, what would happen to those who already got their first jab? of the first dose of AstraZeneca vaccine. And won't that basically put that particular first phase or first doses to waste? And how would this affect our vaccination program? And don't the uh, the benefits outweigh the risks at this point? Right, so it's a couple of things. First, FDA has already said that you can receive your second dose because it seems that the risk for clots really does come out after the first dose. And we haven't had any reports of clots in the, in the Philippines with uh, hundreds of thousands of Astra doses that we've already rolled out. So this is really just a precaution. So, but as for the second dose, um, there, there doesn't seem to be any impediment, even if you're below 60 years old, from receiving your second dose. Um, and the, the other thing is that uh, FDA reviews usually take about two weeks. Um, and so it'll be, you know, the, the review should be over by the time the second dose um, uh, comes, and they've already already preempted that and said that uh, basically you can get your second dose um, uh, even if uh, right now there is this uh, temporary suspension. Okay. Dr. Edsel Salvagna, thank you very much for joining us this morning, sir. Thank you, Christian. Stay safe. Joining us now is Marikina Mayor Marcy Tidoro. We're going to talk about how the city has been coping uh, with this uh, new enhanced community quarantine imposed in Metro Manila and neighboring provinces. Good morning, Mayor Tidoro, and thank you for joining us again on the program. Good morning, Christian. It's nice to be back in ANC Matters okay. of Fact. Talk to us about the situation in Marikina now. Uh, during the extended ECQ, first, how's the distribution of the 1,000 peso aid for, for, for the residents in Marikina? Christian, actually, this is the first day that we will be distributing the ECQ financial assistance coming from the national government. This morning, uh, uh, we will be joined by Secretary Bautista and Regional Director Tomas in the distribution. Uh, we have already started it uh, five minutes ago. This is the first day. We have around uh, 2,500 beneficiaries that will be receiving their assistance. And in the, in the next days, uh, Every day, we'll have one barangay uh, for distribution of assistance in the next uh, 15 days, Christian. Hopefully, 
will finish it in uh, within that period. In total, how many residents are uh, set to receive this aid, sir? We have identified, actually the DSWD have identified based on their master listing, around 73,225 uh, beneficiaries uh, uh, for this cash assistance. Uh, those okay. belonging to the low-income family. Mm -hmm. And how do you make sure that uh, you won't be able to, you won't get a situation where people would lump together, uh, converge on one particular area very, very close to each other, as we saw yesterday in Quezon City? <laughs> yes. Christian, we're using our schools for this purpose. Uh, we have identified the cl different classrooms in, the, uh, in our schools. Uh, wherein uh, there will be batches uh, given uh, a schedule, a time uh, where they will uh, report to the classroom and receive their cash allocation. At a given point in time, there will only be 15 uh, beneficiaries allowed maximum uh, in, a, in a classroom. Uh, so we will not allow people to, to line up or to uh, converge in a gymnasium, but they will be given uh, schedules uh, uh, and uh, and uh, there will be protocol officers to to uh, to uh, uh, to make uh, sure or to guarantee that there will be uh, observance of minimum public health standards. Okay. And uh, how is the city coping so far with the ECQ extension? Two weeks, no. Uh, of course, there's concern that the 1,000 peso aid is definitely not enough. Um, and is there any support coming from the local government? Any counterpart assistance? There will be augmentation definitely coming from the local government, uh, Christian. But Mag magkano po? Uh, this will be in in kind in terms of uh, food uh, assistance. Uh, secondly, Christian, um, we have this uh, sustainable livelihood program in the city that we're giving uh, with with DSWD, of course, giving twenty thousand for uh, small uh, enterprises. Uh, for example, mga karinderya, mga, mga sari-sari store, we have identified around 6,000 to 7,000 beneficiaries for, the, for this purpose. It's a livelihood assistance, Christian. I think this is more important than the cash assistance. Uh, cash assistance is on an interim basis. Eh. It's mm -hmm. a stopgap measure. But when you, you give uh, uh, capitalization for small uh, enterprise, I think this will uh, be on a longer or a long-term basis, and we're teaching them on, on on basic entrepreneurial values, how to do bookkeeping. Uh, uh, it's it's a it's livelihood. Lively, livelihood is I think uh, is a guarantee that uh, we could provide uh, to our people on a long-term basis. Uh, so aside from the ayuda, we have these programs. Aside from that, Christian. Uh, we are exempting from payment of business and license uh, regulatory fees our small enterprises in the in the city. Para kulong natin sa kanila para magtuloy-tuloy yung mga maliliit na negosyo, yung mga nasa non-informal uh, economy sector. Uh, ito ngayon yung marami ngayon eh dahil yung malalaki nating uh, trabaho, uh, yung malalaking kumpanya nagbawas ng araw ng pasok, nag-scale down ng operation. So many people are now resorting to livelihood uh, activities. Oh, inya. Tapos, uh, as far as Marikina is concerned, how do you think this so-called cycle can be broken? In cycle of whenever there's a surge, there's a problem in the cases, seemingly the default response is to keep people at home 
uh, work stoppage in many industries or areas. Pero at the same time, the other facets of the pandemic response don't seem to work. Kasi ngayon, we understand why ECQ is being implemented. But we know that this is just one facet of the pandemic approach. We don't want to go through this cycle again. Napaulit-ulit lockdown, bubukas lockdown ulit. Based on your experience in Marikina, how do you think that that cycle been, can be disrupted? I think, Christian, there should be first accountability, accountability in government. We should identify that we should be able to identify the the critical functions of our function uh, of the government agencies and instrumentalities that would truly address the problem. This is no longer a health problem only, but it has also become and and uh, and uh, more importantly, an economic problem at this point in time. So, kailangan mabalansin natin yung health and economic concern. Eh. So yung instrumentalities of government, the agencies that we have in charge on these areas, uh, I think should be able to, uh, to to function well and be accountable for it. Uh, secondly, capacity. There should be capacity building in all facets of our ano, of our response. For example, we need to capacitate our healthcare system, not not on an interim basis. Yung sinasabi natin, we put up a triad system in the government, uh, in the hospitals. I think it's a, an interim interim uh, solution. <clears throat> Ang tingin natin, kailangan natin palakasin natin yung mga hospital eh. Padamihin natin yung bed capacity. We look into the uh, universal healthcare system that uh, that we have. Uh, for example, <clears throat> we're consulting our private hospitals here in Marikina. Uh, we're asking them to increase their bed capacity. Uh, they told us that PhilHealth is not paying them. So, thinking ko systemic problem eh. How they could, how can they expand their, their operations if they're not receiving the payment uh, uh, that is due to them from PhilHealth? Uh, uh, for example, in the city, Christian, uh, ang PhilHealth may accountable uh, amount or due sa city na 177 million uh, 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 in our for our treatment facilities and isolation facilities. If we could receive that payment, we could easily expand our operation, hire more personnel, and uh, put up more beds. Okay, good thing that you mentioned that is that that that, that systemic problem, and hopefully, uh, the national government could address that because the the, the LGUs can only do so much uh, given the scale of this pandemic problem. Well, thank you very much. Um, Sige, sir, go ahead. Uh, one final point. Last point, Christian. Uh, in terms of guidelines, uh, uh, there should be a capacity to enforce the guidelines. Uh, and more importantly, palagi ka tong inuulit, we should look into the capacity of our people to comply. Baka wala na eh. So we should adjust and calibrate our uh, uh, regulatory uh, framework and enforcement of guidelines based on the capacity of our people to comply. Okay. Uh, Mayor Chidoro, thank you very much for joining us this morning, sir. Thank you very much, Christian, as always. Thank you, sir. And that's our program for today. I'm Christian Esguera. You can listen to the uh, interviews of our interviews again on the ANC Matters of Fact podcast available on Spotify, Apple, Google, and Stitcher. You can also get all the exclusive content on ANC's YouTube channel. Thank you for joining us. See you again on Monday.